to another episode of Off Mic, Off the Record. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And joining me this week, Fort Worth native, good friend of mine for a long time, Mr. Joey Green. What's up, bud? Not much, buddy. How are you? I'm good. So um, we talked a lot about cars the other day, and I see you pull into the driveway. And what I'm assuming is the newest model um, of the presidential limo service. <laughs> It's a 14. It's a 2014 Lincoln. Uh, it's clean. Yeah, it's clean. Um, man, we picked it up during COVID uh, at a heck of a deal. It's appreciated, which is like, this is the first year I think that I've been alive that I've seen cars appreciate. That ain't no joke. I can't think of when I've seen it happen. Don't sell the vehicle you have because you're not going to be able to replace it for the same price. Oh, man. I've got that truck out there. It's a 2012 F-150 uh, Coyote package with a 5 Coyote motor in it. And... I've got 166,000 miles on it. It's still worth 25 grand. It's like 20. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane, man. It's pretty insane. Car market, housing market. Oh, housing's insane. Uh, we rent a house, our house we rent in Nashville. I looked at the rent estimate on it, and now it's like almost worth a half a million dollars. So we're like getting it really cheap. That's insane. Yeah. Insane. And they bought it at three hundred eighteen thousand dollars in twenty eighteen. So one hundred and eighty grand in appreciation in three years. So this house, uh, Summer bought it in two thousand ten. Sixty seven thousand. Yeah, and it's what one hundred one hundred and fifty now. One hundred and seventy six thousand. Jesus Christ, that's insane. It's a thirteen hundred square foot three bedroom one bath. We're in a triple lot in town. Yeah, and on a corner. And on a corner. But can't can't beat it. Real estate's the right investment. It, Dude, you know. Real estate, automobiles. Not crypto right now. Oh. Crypto. I don't know. <laughs> did you jump on did you jump on the Doge? Yeah, I jumped on at two cents on Doge and sold at seven cents. Because I just made it like I made like three or four hundred bucks and I was out. And I regret that decision. Quite off, quite a bit, but during COVID we weren't touring that much, so it came rent time. I'm like, I'm gonna go ahead and take my earnings. And I need my money. Yeah, get so, on down with it. So I, I was late to the Doge game. I bought in at thirty three cents. So you're like up two cents right now on each one. Uh, yes. Yeah, but that's not where the bulk of my money went. XRP. See, I was in XRP and it just was fluctuating so much. I still have some of it. But um, that one, you're just waiting, waiting on the SEC to make up their mind. And if if XRP wins that, it's going to skyrocket. Skyrocket. So uh, there's a guy who works for me at my day job who worked in Nevada for years and years and really started kind of getting into the XRP when it first kind of XRP first became a thing so mm-hmm. several years ago. Guy sells his house, all his property, moves back to Texas, and is just in an apartment. And so... What he sold his house for, the difference to move here, all XRP. Really? Yeah. He'll never come out and tell me how many shares he actually, or how many coins he actually has. But I told him, I was like, I dumped 2,500 into XRP when it was about the dollar mark. Yeah. And, and it's goes, been hanging around the, I mean, that's kind of, it's where it's leveled the shelf. Yes. It, it, the shelf is around a dollar. And, uh, but I mean, what's the highest it's been? Like 17 bucks. At one point, at one point in the not this bear market, but the previous bear market, it got up to seventeen. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
Polygon's been doing really good. Uh, I'm not in on it, but my roommates are. And uh, my my nephew's in on Safe Moon, and he got in real early. There's just some people that got in on Safe Moon. It's just like the same people who bought into Doge when it was point zero zero two cents. Yeah, and making making really good money. Uh, yeah, I think he put thirty dollars into Safe Moon, and I think the highest it, it's gotten was like seventy five hundred dollars for thirty dollars. Thirty dollars, bro. Jesus. The thing about the thing it's like, of, it's like baseball cards, man. It's oh, like, don't even get me started on baseball cards. It's like, right now. it's like getting that holographic King Griffey Jr. rookie card, and you bought a ninety-nine cent pack of baseball cards, and then you just held on to it and put it in a frame. You know that Target, Walmart, and maybe Walgreens limit two items purchased a day on sports cards right now. Why? Because the turnaround on those is so insane. Uh, I have a couple friends of mine that are heavy investing into sports cards right now. And they'll go out and they'll get those like $30 packs of cards that have like five cards in them. Mm -hmm. But you're guaranteed like one, like those ones you can exchange for an autograph or whatever. Yeah. And they'll find out when the vendor is delivering them. Follow the vendor. To the shelf. To the shelf. (laughs) And go, mine. Mine, yeah. And so all these, you know, major retailers that we have around here are like, uh, no, you can't do that. I mean, their guys going in, dropping six hundred bucks on. Yeah, what's going to be tops. the? Ne- I mean, what's going to be the next Pokemon? I mean, let's get in on that before. I mean, is it the NFTs? Is it top in, in the NBA Top Shot stuff? Like, there's some, it maybe like a digital playing card or digital baseball card, sports card that blows my mind, but it's it's real. I yeah. I understand NFTs are real. I just don't get it. I don't understand why I'm going to pay so much for artwork or a picture of a, a corgi with a rainbow flying out of his ass as being art. Well, I can see it. Like, so I was thinking about it. And if you really think about how far we come just in the past, say, 10 years, like from like electric cars, how like hybrids were, you know, 08 when we started seeing 05, the Prius. And the Prius, yeah. And then, you know, 08, you get the. Ford Escape and the Mercury Mariner hybrid and uh, all those things were coming out. So that's like, I think that was Ford's first jump into the hybrid was the, really, yeah, was the Escape. And then um, you had the Tahoe hybrid, which was dumb because it didn't really benefit your gas mileage on that at one. all. Um, I guess it was that one was emissions based only, you know. Um, but so if you think about that, think about walls being completely. LED in your home, like these smart homes to where your walls are at screens and those NFTs are your direct, your direct, like all your decorations. And be, yeah, yeah. It's going to be screens and then you're going to have rotating NFT artwork. And, and I get that. I mean, cause you got to think, what was it like 10 years ago when digital photo frames really got big? Yeah. And it was, it was everybody's Christmas gift. Everyone's Christmas gift. I've got four. Yeah. Never been unboxed, but you, you can actually link it to your whatever. And have it, you know, yeah, to the Wi Fi and to the Wi Fi, and it goes to your Instagram or whatever. Yeah. And then if you have people over and you're in that world, and it's going to be that younger generation, like my nephew's age, like 20, you know, 15 to 23 year olds right Right. now, like they're going to be into that NFT game big time. And they're going to be over and be like, yeah, here's a Banksy NFT that I bought back in 2021 for this amount of money and for a hundred thousand and it's worth now it's worth $17 million because it's a Banksy. Yeah. It's like that kind of stuff's going to happen. And 
I'm sure Banksy ain't doing NFTs yet. Maybe he is. He will. Yeah. It's Dead gonna, Mouse probably is. Yeah. I mean, my nephew's <laughs> been making NFTs and stuff like that. And I know that Kings of Leon released a record as an NFT. They were the first one to do an entire album as an NFT. Yeah. That blew my mind. Well, and I'm thinking, I've got these seven songs that I was going to release during COVID, that COVID stopped the release of the record. And I'm like, hmm. hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I think for me, I feel like I've finally aged out of something. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I could see that. Well, I think I aged out of Pokemon Go. Everybody was playing that, and I wasn't into it. And I got, I got a couple of years on you, so when I was in high school, Pokemon wasn't a thing yet. So that was kind of good. See, when I was in high school, I worked at a <laughs> fun story here. I was 15, I think 15 or 16. I think it was 16 because you had to be 16 to work in the mall. And uh, it was a kiosk right across at the Hewlin Mall in Fort Worth, right Right by the food court, across from Great American Cookie. That's where I got my, my Diet Coke every day. Oh, yeah. You're right across from uh, Abercrombie. Yeah, right there. And uh, I always just walk by and smell Abercrombie. It smells so good in there. Um, but so I was working in a stand, and we sold Beanie Babies and Pokemon cards. And there was enough market for it for them to have a kiosk. And we had a $300 charge art right around Christmas. And like kids would come by and their parents were like, I'm not paying 300. I was like, you should have like, because you should have. Cause you watch Pawn stars. That one dude had all the Charizards, like, all. Oh, it's insane. And then how much money that it was like $500,000 or a million dollars or 1.5 or something. Just an insane amount. It's dumb. So the beanie babies were kind of like coming on whenever I was in high school and first year of college. I remember McDonald's doing the happy meal beanie babies. Yeah, the, the the little ones, and a friend of mine. Let's see, I think he and I were planning on going to first Mondays because I was going to high school in East Texas, so Canton was Canton, yeah, it's forty minutes from where we were living. And his mom was like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to go to. I want to, you know, get some some artwork for the house or whatever." And we were going to get the usual dumb shit you get. Let's go look for mud tires. Let's go get you know. I want some old Coke bottles. I want some old Coke bottles. I want. <laughs> I don't know. I want a, I want a cookie tin from Hershey's or some shit like that. Yeah. So we're rolling on the way over there and we stop in Athens at the McDonald's and she orders 50 cheeseburger Happy Meals. Just to get the Beanie Babies. 50 to get the Beanie Babies. And I have never seen a person in my life exchange with somebody in a McDonald's counter. No, no, no. You gave me 10 of these Cyberian Huskies. I need five of these. And wow. I'm like, and then she goes, hope you boys are hungry. There's 50 cheeseburgers over here. Yeah. Dang. We took that shit down like a champ. Well, I remember, I mean, I just, I was at Goodwill the other day, and it was probably about three or four months ago, and I found these whole set of the, uh, what's the show with the Fonz? Happy Days. Happy Days. Glass Pizza Hut Cups. The collector's what? ones. Yeah. And they knew what they had because they would charge me 10 bucks for the set of six glasses. But I'm like, okay, it's six glasses, 10 bucks. Probably be that at Ross to just get regular glasses yeah. or whatever. And I look them up on the internet, and they're not crazy expensive, but they're selling for like a hundred bucks on eBay for the set. For the set, yeah, yeah, for the whole set. You know, like individual ones, and like certain ones are selling for like twenty five dollars a piece and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well then that one's a good investment. But now we just drink whiskey out of them. I think that how it always works. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny the things that people collect, man. I collect random shit. I like pin, I like uh, patches and pins. 
Patches, uh, like lapel pins. Yeah. I got a bunch of those too. Um, outside of that, I mean, I'm a musician, so we kind of collect guitars. We collect they, guitars. I wish they were cheaper. Uh, they're not. No. Uh, so when you find a good deal on a guitar, you usually hop on it. You have it's, to. It's just like a savings account. Well, what's, what's, the, what's, the, one, what's the prize guitar right now? This one, uh, it's a Gibson Dove. It's an 08, so it's not crazy old or anything. Oh, you mean this old Dove? This old Dove, and uh, I picked it up for $1,100. And the cheapest one I could find on Reverb is like 2400 bucks. You got a Dove for $1,100. With a brand new case. Oh, damn. So I pretty much got the Dove for a grand. So, yeah, case is 100 Yeah, so not a bad deal. God, I can't get that scene from Pure Country out of my mind right now. I cross my heart. Yeah. Um, I got this one, and then I bought, you know, I, I had a bunch of guitars stolen. I had like a 150 Les Paul stolen, one of like 12 Epiphone Sorrento Lenny Kravitz edition that never made it to production. So they only made like 12 of them, and oh. he has like eight to 10 of them. And you had one. Of those 12. Of those 12. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Oh, completely heartbreaking. I don't say that as a smart ass. I mean that like that. Yeah, and fucking hurts. Then I had this Epiphone Excelente uh, that was made at the the Elitist plant in Japan from the '90s that didn't have a pit guard on it, and was evident that it never had a pit guard on it. Worn down. So it no, it was perfect, pristine. Oh, like you couldn't even tell like glue marks or nothing like that. Nothing. And so my guess was that one came from somebody that worked for Epiphone because I've got it in Nashville. Like somebody acquired it, like a factory second. A factory second, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it didn't ever get the pit guard put on because there was probably a flaw in it before it got to that process. Oh, yeah. So even rarer. And they only made like 120 out of that plant of that model in Japan. And I'm like, okay. And it was the best sounding acoustic guitar I've ever owned. Wow. Best, best pickup, best everything. Like all the, you could get all the beef and low end balls out of it and never, never take off. And I was like, man, never, no feedback. It was just the best. And it's gone now. So it felt like a piece of furniture. It was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good of an instrument. And uh, so all three of those. So then I got uh, insurance, a little bit of an insurance check and to replace them. And then, uh, you know, uh, Eric Middleton put together a little GoFundMe down yeah. south and got like six, 700 bucks off of that to replace some stuff. So I didn't get to replace them completely comparable because it's rare guitars. But now I've got a Les Paul that is like one of a hundred. You know, it was a guitar center special edition. It's rose gold. It's beautiful. Pretty. It's beautiful. You know, um, eventually be worth something. It's a painted lady for sure. Yeah. I call her Rose Verde. Rosé Verde. Yeah. That's classy. Classy. That's classy for you, sir. But you get, you say, so you said you got the insurance check and you had some help with that, but does that money ever really compensate for the attachment? No. I mean, cause at Les Paul's the one I played on the voice, you yeah. know? So even if, if I was sentimental about things like that, luckily I'm not that sentimental about like, Oh, it's just the guitar. I can get another one. I mean, because I've been robbed before with, you know, I had a, I had some birthday gift guitars, gifts, things that were gifts. Had a Telecaster that got stolen that my uncle gave me that was pretty rare. It was like the Radio Head model, and it was just awesome. Just so much things, like whether people breaking into our trailer or 
uh, I got rear-ended by a drunk driver on 35, slung gear all over 35. Oh. Like, just stuff like that. But that's just, when you think about it, it's just a cost of doing business. It is, and I'm glad, I'm glad we got on this subject because I think a lot of listeners, fans of music, hopefully people listen to this podcast, don't really understand how commonplace theft of instrument is. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. And I don't know where they go, but my guess is that they don't stay in America. Um, from what I've been told from officers and stuff is that a lot of that stuff just goes black market and, or like, you know, on the dark web and they sell it for cheap and, or trade it. And, and a lot of times they'll find these theft rings where they have a storage unit and they sit on all the stuff for long enough. Statue of limitation kind of thing? For long enough to people forget about it, to stop searching for their stuff. Okay, I get what you're saying. So, um, but if you're smart, when you get your stuff stolen, set a Google alert for your serial numbers and stuff like that. So if it ever gets listed on Reverb or eBay and that serial number pops up and it's like Gibson Dove 2008, your serial number, all that stuff. When that stuff pops up, bing, bing, there's your instrument. So that always set a Google alert because you never know. Because there's people that find guitars that have been stolen seven, ten years ago. Was it Randy Foster that had a guitar turn up after like a decade or somebody else? It was somebody like that. And it might have been like a, it was a rare guitar too, like a Paulus or something like that. Something, it was was like almost like a one-off kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. a decade later, it pops up. Yeah. But. Like Mondo Signs, I talked to him the other day and he was, he had had his Collins stolen and uh, they found it at a pawn shop. Just like outside of town, like a small town outside of town. And it's not just the theft from trailers. It's not just that kind of breaking into vehicles. Guitars getting legs and walking off from shows. Oh, yeah. That's why, like... That's ballsy as fuck. That's real ballsy. And sometimes you could you could say, like, somebody trying to be cool like, and show their friends, like, oh, fuck, I took his guitar. <laughs> oh, I got you. You know, but, like, I don't think that's cool. It's not cool, people. It's not cool to steal somebody's instrument. It's not cool to steal anything from no, it's anybody. Not. You know, like, I could find myself sometimes accidentally acquiring something. Like, because, like... On lighters? A, not lighters. <laughs> but, like, like whether it be, like, a microphone from a show... Yeah. ...where the guys loading out don't know if it's the house's mic or my mic, and it just gets rolled up, and, or, like, a, you know, it gets loaded up in the thing, and then I'm like... But then you just mail it back to them. Well, yeah, but that's that's an honest mistake because yeah. if anybody's ever been around a loadout, that's a million miles an hour. Let's get cables rolled. Let's yeah, let's throw those bartenders have been there longer than you have, and they're ready to go home. They're too. ready to go home. Yeah, so stuff like that, and then like of course with um, in songwriter world, capos and clip-on tuners, those are just like interchangeable. Like you don't even complain about if you lose one because it's just like. Just wait till your next gig. You'll probably acquire one. So it's kind of so, like they're just community. So I'm I'm glad you said that. <laughs> so um, in the years that I've been involved in radio and everything and all the shit live shows I've done and everything, tuners, capos, quarter inches, whatever. I, I have been through countless numbers of them. But at one point I had a Christmas gift bag, like one of those like just solid green Christmas gift bags. I called it the Dalton bag. 
Dalton Domino bag? The Dalton Domino bag. Because at one point I had four quarter inches, five capos, three Texas Tech shirts. I'm pretty sure I had a bag of harmonicas and something else in there that... All Dalton. All Dalton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, I remember finally, like my strap, like uh, I guess I'd played up at Hoots and Amarillo and I had this custom guitar strap that was hand-painted that a girlfriend, a past girlfriend had had made for like a birthday present or Valentine's or something. And uh, Randall King picked it up and he's like, oh, I know Joey, I'll get it to him. I'm like, and then I played Hoots before I saw Randall again, but then finally got it back from Randall and was using it, and not I, not three weeks later is when all those instruments got stolen. So that strap went with it. Was with it, like all that time, and I'm like, yeah, finally got my 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 strap back. I'm heck yeah, yeah, I got it, yeah, gone. <sighs> and like my strap um, from when we went to Ireland, the, when they made everybody straps that year. Oh, the takeover, yeah, yeah, that strap was with that stuff. Uh, my. I got when my stuff got stolen the first time. So when I graduated high school, my parents asked me what I wanted for my graduation present, and I just said I want Houston Marshman to play in our backyard. And so they did that, and then Houston gave me the strap that he used that day and signed it. And then that one ran off uh, when it got my stuff got stolen the first time. And then we played a show. I had Houston do my writers thing, writers night that I had at Wild Rooster when it was down there on Seventh Street. Oh yeah, Fort Worth. And he gave me another strap. He goes, I heard about that strap. He signed the one he wore that show and gave it to me. I'm like, dude, you ain't got to do that. Like, he's like, no, man, I heard, man. I'm like, here you go. And this one was like nice hand-tooled. Like, this one was nice. I was like, oh, dang, all right, shit. And then that one walks off when my tailor gets stolen. And I'm like, man, like, so now the cinem- that's more sentimental me than a guitar. Well, because you have the memory attached to it. There's a memory attached to it, and it's like, it's more work to get that those kind of things back. Like guitars, you can are replaceable. Just like cars are replaceable. It's like you telling your teenager if they wreck it, well, it's replaceable, you know. But you're not thinking when you're filling out your insurance catalog to uh, to make your claim. Oh, you're not thinking about straps. You're not thinking about little things like that. You're thinking about the the bulk item stuff. But the last claim, I'm I remembered every cable, every tried to remember every single thing that was in there. Uh, Summer and I have had a conversation before about my office, just the year's worth of set lists and pictures. Uh, a couple of guitars I've had where, you know, I did a whole season and got everybody to sign it. Just the random things I have in there. And she's like, you really need to catalog it. And I just keep dragging my feet about it. And I'm like, if we ever had a bad storm or something like that. Or a fire. Or a fire. I mean, and I've got my, my stepdad gave me his dad's guitar. So it's a, I don't even remember what brand it is. It's some like mid-level guitar, but I've had it flip since I'm a lefty. That's sentimental attachment. Yeah. You know, monetarily wise, it's probably not a lot, but that guitar has got a lot of history to it. And you know, Insur- insur- insurance just doesn't really give you that sentimental option. Do they? Man, they really don't. They really like to mess with <laughs> they, you. Know, you're a joke right there, but uh, yeah. And so, I mean, I get that as a musician. I mean, that's your, that's your livelihood. That's your trade. That's your tools of business. Yeah. It's just like if somebody goes and robs the, the roofing truck of all the tools and stuff they need to put on a roof. You can't do it. Walk out the next day. Well, then you got to go rent all those tools to, yes. do your, to do your job. If you're one of those people that just doesn't take the day off, you know, you, all right, well, I'm going to go down to the rental place and get all united and get everything I can get. Get a couple pass load guns, get a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
air hoses, compressor, chucks, all that fun stuff. Well, in pawn shops, man, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but you can kind of tell on some of the the, the sketchiness of the somebody bringing something in and wanting to sell it to you. If you mean if that jaw's moving? If that jaw's moving, yeah. If the jaw's moving real fast or like... I honestly think it should be a requirement in a law. Maybe we could we could lobby for this law that anyone pawning an instrument has to play you something on it. Oh, I like where you're going with that. Yeah, so if you walk in with a 88 top Casio or a whatever, you got to play me something. Play me some Coldplay. Yeah. Play me something. Play me some Richard Marks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the one that everybody knows. The one that ev- I even know Wherever that. Wherever you go, whatever mm. you do. So you start at middle C and yeah. then you go to that little. Yeah. Ladder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that one too. But, but like, yeah, I mean, and then play, there is a house in New Orleans. I mean, even Esteban knows that one, guys. But like, if you're pawning an instrument, be like, yeah, play me something. Play me something. Pawn shop guitars and play me something. Man, that is actually super intelligent. I think. Brendan Anthony, if you're listening right now, head of the Texas Music Office, we would like to we would like to uh, petition to have um, all pawn shops have a law of instruments must be played by the person pawning. Yeah, and even if the only thing you can play is the intro to Stairway. Yeah, or that what's the Metallica song? Nothing else matters. Is if you can do that? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's about all I know of it. The, then you know what's going to happen is, is all our pawn shops are going to start having the no stairway song. Yeah, no then, stairway. Then they're going to have to upgrade it. Yeah, and they're going to be like, all right, now play uh, John Mayer, anything but John Mayer. <laughs> um, okay. No, uh, I'm pawning it because I can't figure it out. Okay. <laughs> okay. In that case, can you play me some Green Day? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that would be cool. It'd be hard. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to get every pawn shop owner to do it. No way in hell. No way in hell the way these these, these pop these uh, mom-and-pop stores pop up. But with technology, I mean, just take a video of it. Like, I got like so if you bought it in as a pawn shop, you, you have this video in your log of this is the person that pawned it. And, or why are you not just getting video of everyone pawning? It's simple. Everybody's got a multimedia HD camera in their pocket now. Yeah, and you don't have to get a video. Just take a picture of them holding the item. Then they wouldn't be able to pawn stuff. You know what I mean? If it was stolen. Because nobody wants their picture taken. I mean, granted, most pawn shops have video and stuff like that. And why is all security footage grainy? I don't understand this anymore. Man. I don't understand it, man. Like, can you identify this blurry person over here? Like, I don't I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know. It that's that's a good question. We could we could have an entire podcast about eight K televisions, and we're still at like what six P on security cameras. <laughs> we have ten eighty P HP nineteen ninety four. Yeah, Windows ninety five. Well, yeah, cameras. still running dial up on your stuff. <laughs> Somebody's like, let me check the tape. You still got a tape, <laughs> man? Tapes. Can you believe cassette tapes are coming back? Yeah, I think that's just some hipster shit, man. <laughs> I really do. I think that, I mean, I considered, like, like whatever ladies are best-selling record, so it's like I considered, like, it'd be kind of cool to own a cassette tape of that. Yeah, why not? Or, and, like, when I, put, when I started recording 
uh, my first record, I was like 20. So Hold on. 18 years ago, I think cassette tapes were still on shelves. They were still on shelves then. CDs had taken over drastically by yeah. that time. LPs were gone at that time. And LPs are back now. And I'm I, happy about that. Yeah, me too. But I was making uh, a point with um, my manager on the phone the other day, and I'd thrown this idea out years ago to Ricky Smith about making CDs or with digital download cards or whatever, but it was LP-sized. And the way it would work is the center of the LP would just hold the CD, and it would be a plastic thing to where if you ever wanted to display the case, it would look like a vinyl record just peeking out, and the, and you'd have the thing. So it wouldn't be an actual vinyl that you play. It's it, display. Display. And that's pretty creative. Thanks, man. I mean, that's like seriously like creative. <laughs> because I think... I think you 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 almost hit both demographics because right now I got into a conversation. Some people really like listening to vinyl. I I love listening to vinyl. I have my mother gave me her entire collection of vinyl, so I have an original pressing of Goodbye Yellowbrook Road. I have original Hollow Notes. I've got Gary Newman and the Tube Boy. Yeah. I mean, I've got like some of this rare stuff. I love the way vinyl sounds, and I have an actual tube player. It's not a digitized one. It's a true yeah warm up. And start playing. I love it. But I think you have another, I'm not going to say generation. You have another group and I'm not necessarily going to say hipsters. We both know what I mean, but it is that buy albums strictly for display. So I think you 100% answer that market, that market. Now, if you could do it where it was playable. Yeah. There would be a way. There's always a way. There's always a way. It's just how much effort. We'll see. And I thought about just going to uh, thrift stores and buying up old Christmas vinyls of from New Zealand or whatever they are, like unknown things, and then just buying a new sticker, having stickers printed, and then just say novelty vinyl. like to, So it sells in our display and all that. To where, okay. Yeah. And then all you're having to print is the- The, the sticker. The sticker, and you're, and you're printing the, the case, the- the, yeah, that cardboard the envelope. What? Yeah, the sleeve. The sleeve. I was looking for the word. Sorry, there. It's no sleeve Monday, so um, sun's out, guns out. Yeah, but you could do that, and then they have a display, and then you just have a download code, you know, where they can just go to it, or a QR code that they just scan it and it puts it in their library. One of the most inventive kind of things like that I ever saw. I ever synced. I synced it with my own eyes. Cooter Graw did. A one of these bracelets with the uh, thumb drive with the thumb drive of the album. Yeah, that was badass. And now you can do that, but that didn't take off either because the first one I saw was Matchbox Twenty. Matchbox Twenty had one for the. I can, it was a gray and white, yeah, black and white photo thing. But like uh, Ricky Smith from Smith Music had showed me that, and I was he was like, "Man, you could do these," and I'm like. Now it would make sense because everybody has that USB in their car. Yeah, so it's like the CD player. But, man, and then you can just load it on your computer and all that. But nowadays, I think it's the QR code and the link tree. Because it's so easy. The QR code is literally. The guy that created that, man. <sighs> Banking. Banking, son. He, he owns an island in Fiji. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. He just owns a whole island. Oh, yeah. It oh, belongs yeah. to him. Oh, yeah. Algorithms, man. It's so crazy when you talk about that. So I want to hit on something that you, you kind of danced around a little bit. Mm -hmm. We talked about cars, and you and you touched on it. 
you drive back and forth from Nashville. Yeah. A lot. I got some miles on me. My sciatic nerve hates me. I'm sure sitting that long. Because you do it straight, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I stop for gas. I usually one stop. What's your What's your time? What's your timetable like? Ten and a half. I'm going to tell you, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm going to go to Memphis. I'm going to cross the river. And I'm getting a damn hotel room. Yeah, and I've I've done it where I stayed in Little Rock, you know, um, halfway. But I I just kind of did the math on it. Like I really did the math, crunched the numbers on it, and in my Ford Focus getting 41 miles a gallon on the highway with gas not being where it's at right now. But it was costing me like 60 to 70 round trip, 60 to 70 bucks. To round drive, trip. To drive. And flights – round trip. And then I put the math together in my head. I'm like, okay, to go get on a plane, you got to be there an hour early. It's a two hour flight. And then you got, if you check a bag, you're going to wait on your bag. So that's a flying on a plane with the Uber ride, (coughs) all the stuff. You're looking at a five hour ordeal just to fly. Yes. So you're okay. The one way. So it's really only an extra 10 hours when you, the grand scheme of the grand scheme of things, and then you're saving three hundred dollars. That's thirty dollars an hour. That's a lot of money. People, some people don't get paid that. A lot of people don't get paid. A that. lot of people don't get that. So when I put that together, like it's kind of this I'm in my head, a little bit of guilt. But then you just kind of realize if you're where your time is valuable, you know. Because if I was flying, I could still fly up and get to a co-write that day, and stuff like that. So. And now that Frontier Airlines is flying to Nashville from DFW. No joke. 170 round trip. You just cut it in half. And you backpack it. So now that I have two vehicles, I've got the Lincoln. The Lincoln's going to stay in Nashville. My Focus is going to come to Texas, and it's going to be loaded with my acoustic rig, my PA and everything. And I'm going to fly, have a car, fly back. So a three-day run, in retrospect, depending on what the times of the shows are, I can, it, the most it's going to take is four days. So it cuts, it gives me an extra day. Gives you that day of travel, the travel day back. Mm-hmm. What is it like traveling with an instrument, like say on a Frontier Airlines? Oh, well, you're going to pay for it because anything but a backpack you got to pay for there because that's how they get away with the, the low, cheap flight. Cheap flight. Um, but far as, I mean, I've had some, I've had a little bit of like nicks and things that happen with uh, flying. And it's mostly the case. Do you do hard shell or do you? Now I've gone to soft shell because by law, even though a lot of them don't hold to it, um, soft shell case, it has to be in the cabin. Oh, really? Yep. I don't remember who put that in the law. It might have been Bush. Um, but either way, sometimes if like if it's a hard shell, they're going, if there's no room in the cabin, they're going to make you gate check it if it's a hard shell. Now, consideration that hard shells are the thinnest wood ever. Some of them are cardboard. Yes. And, uh, you know, the latches are not, they're not ATA approved hard shell cases. No, no. It's, it's a gig hard shell. Yeah. And like the, to get the ATA flight ones, like there's some companies out there and those are like $800 cases. Yeah. I've seen the one that Randy Brown carries. And it's comparable to that gator case I have for this boy. Yeah, his is like that. It's like not an SKB, a Pelican. It's a Pelican. Yeah. And that's an expensive case. 
But even he has broken his headstock off, dragging it on the bricks in, in Ireland. Because <laughs> he's got the dolly wheels on it. And I'm like, man, I wouldn't have my thing bouncing on that. Yeah. I'd just pick it up. Or stuff you a little soft, easy, foldable gig bag to carry to the gigs when you're gigging. And then have that for your flight. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the acoustic instruments are the toughest too. Like electric instruments, man, those are... You're, you're not, there's not space between in, in most of them. It's solid, body. solid bodies. So, uh, yeah, acoustic instruments are the tough. And I feel bad for like fiddle players, you know, somebody carrying a Stradivarius. Uh, like, that's a high dollar instrument. Like, that needs to be in your lap. Yeah. I think you need to be holding it, you know, not even above the bin, like in your lap. Yeah. Or planes need to, be upgraded for instruments and like when you check when you buy your flight are you carrying because they ask you if you're carrying strollers they ask you if you're carrying sports equipment instruments not even an option and like for me i'm like that should be an option should be an option like because I, I could see someone's skis getting broke going to the olympics like certain you know things like that but like yeah it's just like man give us an option for instruments and there should be an instrument closet or something there should be. And you would think. Or you would, should be able to buy an extra seat if you're that worried about it. Like if it's, say it's a Mc, McPherson guitar, then some of those are like $13,000, $14,000 instrument. Like, so, yeah, I want it to sit beside me. Excuse me, sir. Is anybody sitting next to you? Yes, my J45 is right here. Or give a musician the exit row and they can set, set it right in front of them. Set it on the floor. Right in front of them, yeah. And just have some straps to secure it. Something. That would be an easy retrofit. Yeah. Some some straps on the back of the seat. Yeah. Right there. Be done with it. Be done. So uh, one of my favorite travel stories of yours. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> this is PG. Okay. I mean, we're podcasting, but this is going to be a PG story. Um, so my wife and I were talking about this earlier. So we, had, we were going to show up in Nakona. And you had driven in. I don't think you were coming from Nashville because you had the van back in the day. This is probably four years ago. But you were coming from South Texas somewhere. We're up. Was in, it the big purple van? Uh, it wasn't Barney. What van did you have right after? You had like the, you had the conversion van. Oh, the the blue one. The blue Shit. the conversion van. Yeah, I probably had. If it that one's never really been to Nashville. So, so. I think you were coming from somewhere in South Texas. Cause I know you rolled up like right at airtime. Yeah. And it was you, Hillier, Grider. I think it might have been it. You, Hillier, Grider, Alverson. We're okay. on the show. And I fit right in that group, by the way. <laughs> not at all. One of these things is not like the other. Um, yeah. Yes and no, but the conversation came up, and I think you missed probably the greatest segue into one of a song that you have co-wrote that I know you had a hand in. And if you don't remember the words to it, that's okay. Okay. Um, we don't have to play it, but if you do, I'd like for you to, but again, I'm, I'm, this isn't one of the things I prepped you for. This just came to mind. Okay. Uh, so we're up there and Josh Grider is telling us the time about when he wrote pictures due with that picture from the Giants, San Francisco giants. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there and he's talking about how all these people were throwing out lines to him and how None of the lines that they threw to him fit what he wanted to do. And so I immediately thought about a song that you and Eric Willis wrote. Not everything's a song. 
Not Everything's a Song. You played right after him. And I, for the life of me, cannot believe you did not play that song. Yeah, I did miss that segue, didn't I? You missed, I mean, <laughs> I underhanded that red dot softball right over the heart of the plate. And I might have just, like, not known it. Like, not known the words, right? I think you told me after the show you couldn't remember the words. Because you guys, it was such a fresh song at that time, I don't think it was something you were actively playing. And I just remember thinking, I threw a beach ball up there to him. Yeah, I can play it now. If you don't mind, I'd yeah, love to hear it. I'll play it. Yeah, let's see. Let me see if this capo's the right spot. Yep, this is right. All right, here we go. <laughs> you liked that segue, didn't you? Yeah, it was good. Your first broken heart, the hand-me-down car. The highway that we both wear out What could have been The beginning and the end I'm tired of writing all of this down Cause not everything's a song Where they all sing along they don't always clap their hands and stand up and dance. Well, I'll tell you, my friend, and I won't say it again. But don't get me wrong, not everything's a song. These worn out cliches are getting harder to say and Even harder when the cat's got your tongue Like every dog has his day And love will find a way But sometimes enough is enough Cause not everything's a song where they all sing along They don't always clap their hands Or stand up and dance Well, I'll tell you, my friend Don't make me say it again Don't get me wrong But not everything's a song Yeah, we all got a song to sing Metaphors, melodies As long as we just face the fact That not everything's a song where they all sing along They don't always clap their hands And stand up and dance Well, I'll tell you, my friend 
I won't say it again Well don't get me wrong But not everything's a song That is a damn fine tune that you boys wrote. Were you were you hearing all that? I think it just might be my headphones. I think it's your headphones. I heard every bit of that. Okay. Yeah, I've got like a little bit of like a... Could be this. Could be that. Could be just the cell phone kind of... A little interference from it. Yeah. I'll turn it back up here in a minute for you. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a boost here. Um, That should give you a little bit more right there. Man, that is a seriously good tune. It's smart. Thanks. I'm serious, man. That is a smart song. Yeah, I get in trouble in Nashville for trying to be too smart sometimes, right? Lyrical acumen, I think, is the term. What does that mean? When you have a profound knowledge of a subject. Yeah. That the listener might not get. get. Yeah. So, And that's the biggest thing I've learned in Nashville is like, Sometimes it's better to just say it versus dance around it. Yeah. Instead of painting a impressionist version of it, like just draw a stick figure and people know what it is. This town is killing me. Yeah. Come right out and say it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that word that a lot of Texas fans dance away from Nashville. Oh yeah, that's a thing. I think well, the marketing dances away from it. I'll agree with that. But they're all up there, and I can tell you that they're all up there all the time. So I think I'm whispering on a podcast. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and I'll tell you one of the selfish reasons I wanted you on here is because one, I seriously appreciate you and the conversations we have. But I think there's one subject that you and I have had deep conversations about. And passionate conversations that I think is something it's time we talk openly about is the misconception of Nashville. There's a giant misconception. Huge. And um, until you go and you walk up and down Broadway, you're going to see, like, if you go with an open mind, you're going to see a bunch of talent. Huge amount of talent. Really talented people, too. If you go with your mind contrived and really just trying to force your opinion to be correct, you're going to see that your opinion's correct. If you're that narrow minded, if you're, yeah, if you're narrowing your mind to that. So like granted, so the thing on Broadway that most people don't understand is they're having to play top 40. That is the like kind of the requirement of that because that's why people come there. It's a tourist trap on purpose. And, uh, but if you get off the, if you get off the tourist the bachelorette party side of things and you go to these writers rounds, you're going to see that that same person that might've been playing at Jason Aldean's singing Luke Bryan covers and doing all that has his own songs that are really good, really good. And he's playing those at writers rounds when he's not doing the entertainer thing on Broadway on Broadway. So I was lucky enough. My wife and I went on vacation four years ago to Nashville and we planned on the first two days to be that we wanted it to be touristy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd never been. 
So I went and had lunch at Acme Feed and Seed. We did the Opry, which, by the way, I got to see Chris Young invited to the Opry by Vince Gill. Oh, that's awesome. And Vince Gill loses his voice halfway through the show, and Mark Wills comes out. Impromptu, not planned. Vince Gill at the flu. And Mark Wills comes out and sings uh, Pocket Full of Gold by reading the lyrics off of his phone and crushes it. Well, and that's one thing that we learn in Nashville is the on-the-fly thing. Like, Because when I was playing in the house band at Losers, it was, mo- it was all covers. You know, you wouldn't hear a Joey Green song in there. The only one I think that we would get to play would be White Girl because it was, you know, it's three chords and it's blues progression. Yeah. And the guys had heard me play it enough, like on the acoustic nights, to where they're like, oh, we got this. I was like, just think stomp clap and we're just going to rock it. And it's a popular song, like to where the regulars that come to Losers on the weekend, whether it be the Vandy Kids and all that, or they start singing that song. They're like requesting it. So it's like, that's a good thing. Um, but you, sometimes they'll come up and ask you for something like Trisha Yearwood. She's in love with the boys. Some girls, I'm like, it's all men up here. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. I'm going to interrupt right now. <laughs> Joey Green, you are the one male artist I have seen cover and nail more female vocals. It's because I got to have voice, man. It's not just that. <laughs> you sing with inflection. There is a video floating around somewhere of you at Club 84. Mm-hmm. At Grady Spencer, and you're you're singing that don't impress me much. Yeah, but not and you freaking nailed it. Okay, so you're Grady Spencer. Yeah, <laughs> that don't. It, that's not a segue, by the way. That was just conversation. Yeah, um, but I've always appreciated that because I think you like the female artist. So oh, I'm, the reason I'll tell you the reason behind it is what I've, I've noticed, especially living in Nashville. The females are still writing with their their heart and their soul, and they're singing with it. So they're singing, and the delivery on the female side of things just seems to have a lot more conviction than a lot of the male stuff up there. Because it's real. It's real. And it's almost to the point where the way the market has gone with country music to where the guys are supposed to be chasing girls, and girls are upset that guys aren't chasing them or something like that, you know, but fair take, fair take. But it's like, it's the guy's stuff is supposed to be party, supposed to be party music, you know? And like, and it seems like the girls get to be a little more emotional and like Ingrid Andrus is one of my favorite things that's come out in a while. And Morgan Wade, her new records fire, but it seems like those songs on get to make it on female records more than they do male records because it seems like, the male thing is the keep it driving and stomping and keep it entertaining and, and all that. And the girls get to be a little more subdued and get to pull off some good stuff. Why, why is that? I don't get it. I don't know. When I came off the voice, when I like right after I got the chair turned and all that stuff and then sit out of my family or I'm walking to say hi to my family and meet, greet them. Carson Daly is like, what do you think, man? What do you think? And I was like, man, I'm just trying to get into the, I want to be the male version of what these girls are doing. Like Marin Morris and all these people, like the stuff they're doing, it's creative as hell. And the writing is unbelievable. And it's just like, why aren't there? There are guys out there doing that, but why aren't they winning? And that's what I don't, that's where it's because they're categorized as boyfriend country. Well, that stuff, I mean, Dan and Shay, I mean, uh, so Shay Mooney is one of the best vocalists I've ever heard in my entire life. He's unbelievable. And then Dan, he is the producer behind all that. So, like, he's not just 
a guitar player singing harmonies. Like he's the, the brains. He's the brains behind a lot of that. And so if you dig into it and if if some people could just see the process of these guys that are building these tracks from nothing, like and not even bringing a drummer in. It's just one guy building a drum track, building all these things. They would see how much talent it takes and how much work it is. And for me, it's like impressive because when I've written with track guys and then, you know, we go out and I'm like, well, I'm going to run the store and get some beer, come back. And he's got the track ready for me to do vocal on it. I'm like, whoa, dang. Yeah. I'll tell you, I was part of that misconception too. I mean, I think it's a bubble. And this is not negative against anybody here. I think it's you only know what you're told. You only know what you're told, and you only know what you know. You only know what you know until you see it. It's like kind of like just like being cultured. It's in the same. It's in that same part of your brain. I feel like. Yeah, it's the it's. We did the touristy thing for two days. Uh, Ryman, <coughs> Opry, go hit it, and then the next day, the third the third day, I had the opportunity to go to Kim Copeland's studio and sit on a session with her. I was there strictly as an observer mm-hmm. and I got to see one of those track guys from scratch, build it, build it. And the, and the thing is, is you can build it from that. And then if you decide that that mix is requiring live drums, you already have your tempo. You already have the things. You, the everything's drummer, set. The drummer comes in and just cuts live drums. And because the level <laughs> of, of musicianship of the people that are available around the clock there is insane. Insane. And they get to come in there and they're like, one take? Yeah, okay, got it. Cool. Scale. Bye. I'm going to the next studio. Yep. I might go to the recording house right next door to where you're at. Yeah, and like, and the thing is, it's like there's a term called cartage that like uh, a listener, like a music fan wouldn't even know what that means. And that's because there's like most studio musicians have two rigs. Like one, they have two of everything. And so they're in one session while their cartage guy is setting them up at another studio in another session. And they're just flip-flopping. And then they're just, no, and they're just moving to that one. And then that cartage That's guy. That's what I mean. And the cartage guy's coming behind him and flip-flopping. And then he's moving that rig to another studio. Oh, it's so crazy. And that's what I hate is I got to see behind the curtain that way in Nashville. And it, it changed. Well, and that's why. changed everything. And that's why you can tell, like, you can hear a band record from here in Texas versus a studio musician record. And you can tell right off the bat that that's a band or that's studio guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just in the quality of the, the performance, you know, um, those guys have tone dialed in. They have all the things they it's there. It's what they've been doing for 30 years. And just because you walk in a studio in Nashville and every dude in there's like 60, don't think they don't know how to rock. They know how to rock. They know how to rock. Yeah. They can do whatever you need them to do. If anybody ever has a question about that, I need you to go watch a documentary. And I'm just went stupid on it. It was about the fifties in oh. California. Oh, the guys that played on all the, the Motown stuff. Not, not hired guns. I'm, oh. It's not hired guns. Uh, it's a, uh, damn it. This is pissing me off. Cause the, the lady with the beehive hairdo, who was the baddest bass player ever. She did all the, Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. I've seen the, do- <sighs> I know what you're talking about. I need to find out. So, so we can move on. I'm going to put, put it, put a link in the comments. I'm going to put the link in the comments to this, to this. <laughs> if you ever have a question about old people being able to rock out, go watch this documentary and find out how many fifties like beach boys and sixties. These yeah. people were working class in their forties banging out hit after hit. Yeah. 
So I get exactly what you're saying. It's, it's a man. Well, it's like hard to believe like on our low five record, I had oddly freed play on it, you know, and he oddly is like the best, one of the best slide players you can get. And, uh, it was impressive just to watch him play. I'm like, Oh my God. And all they got to do is hear it down one time. Like play it for me. Like we didn't even have charts when we went and cut that. It was just play it down. And he played it down. He's like, all right, I know where I'm at on it. Also another thing, the Nashville number system. Still don't know it. You don't know that? Nope. Still don't know it. I'm familiar with how it works, but still don't know it. My brain's not moving fast enough on it yet. I understand. I'm much like you. I understand the concept of it. It's just, it's, it it's blows. a muscle. It's a muscle. Well, you have to work. You have to exercise that every day. Cause it's okay. This song is an a jam. Okay. So a is one. Mm-hmm. And then you lose me after that because I'm not thinking numerically that two should be. And, and some people like, so like, for instance, you can write a song in C and never play C. Yes. And, and explain that for the people that don't know what that. So like if C is your one, but like, but the chords in it are like A minor, F, and G, and then you you throw that E minor in, like it, it's going to be in the key of C, actually. But you're never playing a C, right? It's it's insane. And like some people will be like, no, that's an A minor. I'm like no, it's in C, but that C might you might hear that C in a pass in a passing chord where you're like, and that yeah. C was just in that deal, but it's there. But it's in C, you know, just certain things like that, that, but they have the number system and some people confused, like the, confuse the number system that the first chord is your one. The first chord is not your one. No, the key is the, the key one. is the one. Yeah. <sighs> My head hurts. And that can turn into a train wreck real quick when you assemble a band at the gig, you know, like, oh, who are we playing with? Who's playing bass? Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. But in Nashville, everybody hops up with anybody, and they just rock that out. I mean, almost everybody up there knows 300 songs by heart. In their sleep. Yeah. And, their, and the signature licks and the solos and all that. And their timing is dead on. Yeah. And they're tight. They mm-hmm. are tight. Or if it's a rock song, they're loose. Yeah. But they're all loose at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So speaking of Nashville... And speaking of this, who did you record your single with, your new single? I did that in Texas. So hold on. (laughs) I'm going to blow people's minds here. Mr. Joey Green, who has been in Nashville living as a songwriter there. Four four and a half years. Four and a half years. Cut your newest single in Texas. Where did you record that at? Studio B is what it was called at the time at Fort Worth Sound. Fort Worth Sound at Studio B with Tanner. With Tanner. Tanner Landry. Uh, now it's called Southside Recorders. And I know Tanner's not working out of there quite as often because he's having some success in real estate, which if you're in real estate, you're probably all having success. If you're not, right now. it's your work ethic. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, uh, now him and Jeff Rockwell share that space over there. Um, and Jeff's great i mean he did uh the prism record danny and chris yes uh, that real pop electronic stuff he's, he's awesome um but no i so i was working on a project that with a guy up there uh, a guy named scott harder and uh we just never got finished and the price was a little out of my range 
So, and I'm not scared to tell people, like, he, he quoted me 3,500 a song. And that's not, I mean, that's right. That's on the card, Union. That's, that's, that's dead like, on. That's label rate up there. You yeah. Know? And I'm not on the label. I'm an independent artist. I'm like, I'm not, I can't, you know, without a backer or a business partner that just has some deep pockets, that's just not in the cards for me right now. So I went and cut that record with just my drummer, Brandon Trey, and then we had Cameron Moreland playing bass with us at the time, and he played bass, and me. There's no other people on it. That's just it. And Tanner. Four of us. That's a really good tune. Oh, yeah. I love that song. And Brandon Stebbin kicks himself every day because he was supposed to be in that right, but he wound up on a long phone call. Oh, no. And we wrote that song in like 45 minutes. Something like that. Isn't it wild how some songs can come together that quickly yeah the girl was three hours late to the right i wrote it with a girl named kayla hall and she's on like some pop alternative playlist she does that kind of thing and uh she's in a duo a female duo called moody judy and uh yeah not to to be confused with the hip-hop group big booty judy yeah exactly (laughs) um and so yeah we we made that record i think i to this day i think i only have like three grand in that whole record and i'm sitting on seven more songs because City Talks was on that, in that session, and then uh, we released Haunted House and Backburner, those three songs. And then it was just, you know, COVID hit, so we just kind of... Dum, dum, dum. Yeah, it's just kind of like, okay, if I feel like releasing a song, like September 5th is my birthday, so I have a song on the record called Birthday. Probably going to just drop it. Why, Why not? not? Why not? It's already there, and we're in a content culture now. So an instant gratification content culture. So put them out there. Do it. Well, you think you can play haunted house for them? Yeah. I also sure would can. like. I also would like to to throw that line out again. Lyrical acumen. This is a pretty solid song. It's smart. Well, I can't sleep at night. This air is too damn cold It feels like I've been breathing in your ghost The phantom in my arms And the devil in my heart Are dancing with these spirits in the dark Through this haunted house Where the portraits and the demons follow me around every second every minute can't find my way out of this haunted house they flicker off and on and the doors they just slam shut and the furniture ain't never like it was It's blowing on the back of my neck Crawling all over my skin But it don't bother me the way it did In this haunted house Where the portraits and the demons follow me around Every second, 
Every minute can't find my way out Of this haunted house Of this haunted house See, I'm the warden of this prison I've boarded up the windows I can't see the apparition If I let the light into this haunted house Oh, this haunted house Damn this haunted house Where the portraits and the demons follow me around Every second, every minute Can't find my way out Of this haunted house Of this haunted house Oh, I hate this haunted house Did the PG ending there for you? That's good. Thanks, man. I really, man. I, I always felt like there was a miss on some of your albums and what took traction and what didn't. And maybe that's me because I'm a deep, a deep cuts kind of guy. And I always think that I mean you've had some good radio success, but I think there's other tunes that you've cut that just did not get the love they needed. It's money, bro. I know it is. <laughs> yeah, you just got to pay them radio promoters, man. I know you do, but I mean, like this one, like Haunted House, that is a damn good song. And well, I'll tell you the crazy thing. And um, you being, you've worked in radio a little bit and like understanding like what programming a radio station is about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's get into this because there's people listening that probably don't understand it. Yeah. So like when you're programming between advertising, so you want those songs to be cohesive. And that's why there's such a system in Nashville of using the same players, same studios, getting the same sounds, because it's comfortable to listen to, and it's keeping people, you know, it's the it's just that thing. So when you go and make something like Haunted House, it's a little bit different sounding. Um, sometimes, even no matter how great the song is, it could be the sonically, the way it sounds, the recording of it that is keeping it from getting the love it might deserve. I would agree with that. But that's okay. We got streaming platforms now. And that is an important thing. <laughs> that is a very important thing. And we have podcasts. And so there's there's that option. Um, you know, and I don't think I've ever really, I think the war was the closest thing sonically. The war and, and low five when I went up there to Nashville and cut those, those were the closest things sonically. And, but the thing that they fit sonically was Texas. Like they fit Texas radio. They did quite sonically. They're still not quite to the level of the Nashville stuff because you got to get into that big budget. You do. And, um, and it's just working with the right people. You can have the low budget guy, but that's really good, but he's not going to be low budget for long because his demand's going to go high. Exactly. Exactly. A Dave Cobb 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, he wasn't 
the Dave Cobb that we have today. Like I've been emailing the producer I want to work with. We've emailed him three times. He hasn't emailed, emailed me back yet. So it's like, but we'll get there. We'll find the guy. That's how it works. So, so you said sonically, and and I don't know if I'm being pushy for another song, but so sonically, when you did the War, that album, I'm going to say, in my opinion, that's the best out album you did, start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I think you had good structure to the album. I think you had you hit on a lot of things there. And back when I was writing a lot doing a lot of album reviews and I was doing a lot of writing. I think I did a list of the 10 most underrated. Did I say it was Texas sad songs or like sad songs by Texas writers that the term I keep throwing out today, lyrical acumen that were intelligently written from the perspective of understanding it and living it. And I put one of your songs, number two or number three on that list. Um, and it was generally songs that weren't radio singles. They weren't, uh, I can tell you the number one song I had on there was long way down by Casey Berry. Okay. And no, you were number three. Cause the number two was killing floor by Dalton Domino. Yeah. And then I had closing time. Yeah. By you. Yeah. Who the hell cannot relate to that song? You know, and when I wrote that song, um, I fought myself on something because I wrote that song by myself. So like I fought myself on rhyming time with time. <laughs> That's a no, no. It's, it's not, it's, but not, it's not a no, there no. are no rules to writing songs. Right? There's not. No. Um, but there's I, the, you that doesn't want to repeat a word. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. That's pride. That's pride. Yeah. Like I'm smarter than this. We can do this. We can do this. We can figure it out. But I just left that one because started that song like the the tempo and the 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 six eight of that like the fact that it's kind of waltzy or whatever it is very waltzy um that was coming from listening to that uh will hope draw the curtain record like that kind of oh, yeah good album yeah that kind of i was into the will hope thing then and you know I, um i loved those records like that record the wreckage record all that stuff and so he had some six eights. And then I remember Rodney Parker had told me a long time ago, he goes, man, he goes, the way we pull off playing in these country bars and these dance halls is we have shuffles and we have six eights. And I'm like, okay, I'll write a couple of those. So when we came to shuffles, we wrote alone tonight, you know, kind of in that old 97 vibe. Yeah. And then these, you know, kind Ringo Stark on the drum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of get into the, uh, the waltzy stuff and then it's closing time, stuff like that. So having some of those is good. So you said you wrote it about you. How much embellishment or how much truth is in there? Um, that's a, there's embellishment. You got to be, you got to embellish a little bit. But like that song is kind of based mostly on uh, the idea that so many girlfriends that I've had in in like relationships think that we're just out on the road and it's just being thrown at us and we're cheating all the time. That's what they think. I'm, and the main line is like true love ain't easy to find in a bar room at closing time. What? You're not going to find true love on the girl that's willing to wait on your sweaty ass to load your whole entire trailer and be ready to hang out at four in the morning. She's not love. That's not going to be a thing. No. And half the time we got to get up and drive another five hours. 
So no, I mean, no, like maybe, maybe some people are doing that, but I'm not like, I, I like sleep too much. Amen. So it was kind of that, it was kind of that idea of just like, man, being in these bars, playing these bar rooms all the time. It's like, it's hard to find somebody with that schedule and find it to be true. You know, it's not a one-off. No, no. So it's kind of like, well, whatever. But I think a lot of people can relate to that Saturday night lights coming on, last call for alcohol, scan the room. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, true love ain't it ain't in there. It ain't in there. It ain't in there. Yeah, finding love in a bar. I mean, the girl I've been talking to lately, I met her at a bar, but it was losers, and she had been there the night before when I'd played with the band, and then we were just in there hanging out the other, next night, and I was with my buddy Ryan Garrett that I write a bunch of songs with now. And uh, I was like, he's like, let's go to Mickey's. Let's go back to the east side, get closer. Because I was living on the east side at that time. And I was like, just get closer to home. And I'm like, all right. I was like, but I got to go talk to that girl real quick. And that never happens to me. I am not a cold approach guy. But the warm approach. Were you here last night? Because I think I saw you. I was playing last night. Like that, you, And it worked. Sitting over there? Yeah. And then she came and met us over at Mickey's and hung out with us. I was like, dang, it worked. That worked really good. So, and she just now had her offer accepted on a house in Nashville. So she's moving from Vermont. So we'll see where that goes. Hopefully. I'm talking about it on a podcast and I don't ever do that. So we'll see. I get all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you play one for me, Joey? All right. Closing time. If you're up to it. Yeah. If I don't, if, I, if I'm, if I can forget the words, it's my fault. I mean, I'm just throwing you all kinds of curveballs today. Honey, I don't want to move on, but I have to And try to feel this hole in my heart Cause my love is no longer good enough for you I can tell by the clothes in the yard Tell me why do you make it so damn hard I just feel like I'm losing my mind And they tell me that things will get better with time But true love ain't easy to find In a barroom At closing time I guess all them stories are true Guess I was too naive to believe But I never thought your freedom was gonna change you But look at you running these streets Oh, I guess you've done forgot about me I still feel like I'm losing my mind And they tell me that things will get better with time But true love ain't easy to find 
barroom It closed and time is all we had And we let it go to waste And I just can't stand the thought of his hands Touching your face I still feel like I'm losing my mind Tell me things will get better time But true love ain't so easy to find In this barroom Damn this barroom It closed in time It closed in time It's closing time And honey, I don't want to move on But I have to Thank you, man. Yeah. I think I forgot one line in the ending, but it's fine. That was good. <laughs> Do you consider songwriting... A passion or an obsession? I think I'm obsessed with it. I mean, I'm passionate about it, but, you know, I met, so like we were talking to uh, our, so Ryan Garrett that I write with, he's uh, got a publishing deal with Porchlight Music. And Tim, the guy over at Porchlight, uh, one of the owners, was kind of talking about how he had some writers that were just really struggling to be creative during COVID. And, he goes, and then you got the Boohickey Boys, which is what our little group is called over there. Uh, and he said, the Boohickey Boys over here pumping out bangers three a day. You know, just, I'm like, yeah, well, we're drinking enough whiskey to be creative, I'll tell you that much. Um, right drunk at it sober. Yeah, this song brought to you by Tin High Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> $13 a handle. Whoa. Yeah. That makes Evan Williams look like top shelf. Well, it's better than Evan. No offense, Evan Williams, if you're ever offering me anything. Um, but, like, um, no, it's you can drink it by itself, man. Ten high whiskey. Ten high whiskey. And it's $13 a handle. And I just I just noticed it finally made its way to Texas. I was on the early times for a while. Early times ain't bad. Early times ain't bad. Benchmark is disgusting. I've never had the benchmark, and I don't think I will. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, it doesn't mix well. Like, uh, it's got a weird finished when you mix it with Coke. Like it sits on the flavor? I don't know. It's like a little, almost like like river wood. Like a little bit of like, ah, almost like a scotchy, bready oh, wood finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. if you make, a, if you mixed a Jameson with a Coke, it's like that little tinge of the thing that happens with Jameson and Coke, it's like elevated to like a hundred times. This does not belong together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This mm, Nope. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if we finished it. I think we did finish it, and I figured out that it would mix okay with ginger ale. And uh, I'm a big ginger ale drinker, so. Yeah. And so it would it stayed there, and we bought other stuff, but then at the late night, we'd be like, ah, whatever. 
You're already drunk at that. <laughs> you're already point. drunk. It's like drinking uh, Miller Lite until late night, and then you're like, "All right, I'll drink Natty Light, whatever." The Beast. Yeah. So, man, I have thrown a shit ton of topics at you, and I've steered this in all directions. Is there anything you want to talk about? Yeah, you just said steer, so that was a great segue. I'm not going to miss this one. So we were talking about vehicles, and uh, so if you go to like my YouTube queue, it's always either Dallas Cowboys or vehicles, uh, because I, I was raised in a garage pretty much. Like my dad owned an auto shop my whole life, and uh, so we've been around cars, and we're Ford people. And uh, I can tell you're a Ford person too. That's good. We're Ford people, and Studebakers are our classic cars of choice. Um, so I've got a Studebaker Lark, and my brother has a Studebaker pickup with the supercharged Avani motor in it. Oh, that sounds so good. I bet that's. Yeah, it's throaty as hell. It's real throaty. And then uh, my dad doesn't have a Studebaker right now, and I'm telling him, like, his dream car is a 57 Studebaker Golden Hawk. And he has two cars that if he sold both those cars, he could be in a Studebaker Golden Hawk. Good. I keep telling him that. I'm like, come on, Pops. So, but, like, mostly I'm just looking at new cars because I do so much driving, and I really want that fuel-efficient, but load some gear. Okay. And uh, so Ford's coming out with a compact pickup truck that's going to be the size of the old Rangers. Not not to be confused with the size of the new Rangers. Yeah. The new which Ran- is midsize. Yeah, that's a midsize. That's, you know, a little Tacoma killer. Um, but this new Maverick is based on the Bronco Sport and the Escape chassis, that just, like the new Bronco Sport that just yes. came out, the small Bronco. And so it's just stretched a little bit, and it's going to have a three-cylinder option, and it's a four-door pickup, and... So, kind of like the old sport track? Smaller. Smaller than the sport track. Yeah, so um, almost a ute because okay. it's a unibody and it's front-wheel drive, and then they'll have an all-wheel drive option, of course. But it's not going to be like this real four-wheel drive-y thing. It's more of a like a any like a Outback or like the okay. Subaru Baja. Yes. But it's yes. going to have more clearance, more ground clearance than a Baja, and it's going to feel a little more trucky than that. Um, now, the Hyundai Santa Cruz is coming out. Looks a little bit more like a Subaru Baja. So, because it's based on the Tucson. Okay. Yes. And that's a pretty small SUV. So, what you're telling me is you're not wanting to go get invest in the Hemi Trackhawk. No. (laughs) That gets four, four miles to the gallon. Yeah. I'm not into the, I like my MPGs. Like my Lincoln, I get about 25 on the highway and it's an MKT and it has the same EcoBoost as the F 150s. And uh, I get good gas mileage in it, seven passenger, enjoy driving it. So, um, but my focus is almost paid for, and I've driven that thing into the ground, which so, is amazing. Yeah. And it's been a really good car. Um, so, I like if I just get to the point where I want to buy something and new, I'm just keeping my eyes and ears peeled. You know, Ford came out, uh, just announced the new Lightning. Yes. The all electric with the Ford truck front and it, it looks like a Ford truck, you know, a little bit different, you know, the front fascia is a little bit different. It's got a trunk in the front, which is, I think that's awesome. Love it. Because you could unload, you could put gear in there and just park regular. Like, it's so cool. You don't, have to, back up you don't to, have to back up to it. Yeah. yeah you're just like, Oh, you're getting my stuff out of here. Um, but yeah, so like, I like that. And I mean, the price range car, cars have gone up so much. It's insane. Like to buy a new vehicle, you're, and if you want to get into a full size vehicle, you're looking at a thousand dollars a month payment if you're not putting a whole lot down. It's insane. 
It's insane. So we lucked out. Uh, my we traded. Well, we sold my wife's expedition. She had the land yacht for years, and we put a gazillion miles on it. And she's like, "Okay, well, we don't have two grown teenagers anymore. They're out of the house. Let's get something smaller." So she wanted to get that Jeep Compass. We were originally looking at the Cherokees and all that. How I, does she like her compass? She loves her compass. How is its dependability and reliability? Oh, we're only like eight thousand miles into it. So initially, it's great. Initially, it's great. <laughs> Sands the fact that I fucked it up right before 2000 miles. Oh yeah. You told me that you, uh, yeah, I hit a raccoon the size of a wild hog. Yeah. Big old fatty out there. Big old fatty in West Texas. And I shredded the front end of that car. Well, you got to know those cars are all, I mean, it's all plastic. Oh, it is. She calls it her Barbie Jeep because everyone else in the family has like, you know, CJs and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, I wanted something that was highway dependable for long trips. Because, you know, we've been to Padre back and forth and that thing, and we'd go, you know, we're probably going to go to New Mexico and Utah and things like that. I'm sorry, but I do not want to be in a CJ driving down for 12 hours. No. no, no. I want to be in that little four-cylinder. Yeah. It doesn't have a lot of power. It's not supposed to. It gets gets amazing gas mileage. Radio system's decent. Yeah. I mean, it's good for what we wanted. We just happened to get that right at the beginning of COVID. And so we walked up to the dealership. And we got all these cross-eyed looks from all these salespeople that hadn't seen anybody in three weeks. And they're like, there's somebody here. They want to, we're going to sell them a car. We're going to sell them a car. And I'll tell you, everybody freaked out because like, oh, we're not making any big purchases because we don't know how long this thing's going to go. And I even told my parents, like I had money, you know, I had, cause I just signed our lease. And then five days later they shut everything down the whole planet. Yeah. And, uh, but I had a kitty of money, so I was like, I'm okay, I'm good. I was like, if this thing goes past September, like I might be in a, a you know, I might be on the phone like, dear mom and dad, please send money. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm so broke that it ain't funny. And then she'll be like, well, how much whiskey did you drink? And be like, that's not your business. <laughs> Five uh, cases. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but man, and so like at the beginning of COVID, the car market was like, you could buy things. Like at cost, like insanely cheap. Would you like a brand new Lincolnfeld Revet? How does thirty six thousand sound? Yeah, exactly. Because I got that Lincoln for sixty five hundred, and it still books at like twelve five. Now that's insane. I'm like, and it booked then at seven grand or something like that. But I mean, and that was like trade in. Like, so I'm, I bought it for below what they would give me trade in on it. So like, that was a steal. And my dad saw it, and we drove it, and I'm like, yeah, let's, we'll take it. Go way under blue book. Yeah. Awesome. And then it's just appreciated. I get these notes because I use credit karma. I get these notifications. Your vehicle has gone up in value four hundred dollars. I'm like, I wish every every vehicle did that. And then you wouldn't you'd be driving a car for free all the time. And no joke. I mean, we, we were talking about that with my F one fifty. It it sold its held it itself pretty well, but yeah, trucks are trucks are holding them. And I, I see I'm a firm believer if you're going to make a new car purchase, buy the unique trim level. Buy the one they're only making twenty five hundred of. Okay. So get that Harley Davidson edition. Like get that one because like the Lincoln Blackwood truck. You know the truck that they yeah that had the the the, the little trunk swinging split yeah. door thing. Like those trucks are still thirteen to eighteen because you can't find them. Yeah, there's only they only made like twelve hundred or twenty one hundred of them or something. So like having that and now it's a, almost a twenty year old truck, but still. 
and it's still sharp. And it's still sharp, and oh. it, it hold and it it it's holding its value because there aren't that many. It's just supply and demand. So when you see those higher level trim lines or something that's unique and and weird, you, you know, mean like a Coyote motor in a, in a yeah in an F one fifty like exactly I've got? yes exactly because they're aren't they getting rid of V eight. So right now, if I were to go purchase a, if I wanted to go get a brand new F-150, I can still order the 5.0. It's not on lots. You have to order it, but you cannot get it with a six-speed tranny. You have to get it with a 10-speed. Really? That's an, that goofy transmission. Or I can get the the six-speed transmission for ho, for uh, tow haul, which is why I have it, mm-hmm. with the 3.2 liter. Or the 3.5. 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. To, uh, twin turbo EcoBoost. Twin turbo EcoBoost. Not a bad motor. No, my dad. That's what's in my dad's Navigator. He gets about as good gas mileage as I get in my little Lincoln wagon. Now, if I want to roll the windows down and stand on the gas pedal, I want to hear my motor. Yeah, you want to hear that motor. I want to hear that five point Coyote. Man, but those EcoBoosts, they'll get. Oh no, they will get. Yeah, my Lincoln will get. Like wow, I'm like heck yeah. That turbo kicks in. It's on. Oh yeah, but for me, it's the. You want to hear it. When I, I grew up with Fox bodies. Like, are they ever like, so is it, so all the V8 stuff's just going to be special order. Cause I, I heard, I don't know where I heard, but like the government was like trying to get rid of V8s. So there is talk of, well, Chevrolet was the first one to buy into it where Chevrolet said that their gasoline only motors, the, the, the LT one LS ones are going to go away in like 10 years. Yeah. Like it's going to be gone. It's not a thing. Yeah. That everything and like everything on the road will be hybrid or electric, and its hybrids will start phasing out soon after. And so, then it'll be electrics, and then it'll be electrics or hydrogen fuel cells or whatever they decide to go with. Yeah, I think it's going to be electrics, but what's going to happen is they're just going to have to get the infrastructure there it, that does not exist right now. Yeah, and and the speed charging to where okay, it's ten minutes at a gas station and you're at eighty five percent. You know, and then so lightning cables for your car. Yeah, lightning lightning chargers. Yeah, to where it's fast, and that way you could still travel cross country in an electric vehicle, and not have to alter your route. It's on the same route, so gas stations where their pumps are are going to be charging things, but they're going to have to have more. So I want to say the first time I remember actually outside of like downtown Dallas seeing a charging station was in Ranger, heading west. Just past Ranger Hill, what's that gas station? And here's my confusion. That's the first place thing I saw one. My confusion, I saw one at Olive Garden, like in like Jackson, Tennessee, or somewhere, somewhere like that. And But the thing that's confusing me the most is all those charging stations are like free. Free. How? I don't know. <laughs> if If that's free, why is electricity not? So the bed and breakfast we stayed at in New Mexico and Taos. It's like included two years ago. It's included with your stay. Like it was included with our stay and we rolled up in my big old throaty F one fifty and every other spot there, there was three regular car parking spots and the rest were either the Volt charger or the Tesla charger. Yeah. So it's it like having those chargers is is cr- creating draw to your place. I guess in a way. So I could just see, I could see it like gas stations. If they have their chargers, it still gets you, you got 10, 12 minutes. If there's a restaurant or 20 minutes, whatever it takes to charge that you've got to be in there one and around spending money. Yeah. 
have you I don't have you talked to anyone that owns like a Tesla and like their home electric bill like what it altered it? I have not, but there's a couple of people I work with at the day job that are about to go to it. I've got a friend who's about to go to the new Mustang. Oh, the Mach-E. The Mach-E, yeah. They nailed that. They knocked that out of the park. Dude. I mean, because it doesn't look like it's an electric car. It, no. It looks like they made a Mustang SUV. You know, like the Mercedes has like the one that has, it's like the slope back. And like, I think Volkswagen, the cross tour version of their uh, Atlas SUV kind of yeah. has the slope back. So like that Mustang, I love the fact that it don't have door handles. Is that not the weirdest thing ever? I think it's awesome. It's like the body lines are so clean. Um, we made shaved door handles a thing. It finally happened. For real. It finally happened. Yeah. It, I think it's great. It's For me, it's like, yeah. Because half, half the SUVs now, you see the door handle on the front is at this level, and on the back it's at this level, and they now they bug me. Now I look at them and it bugs me. Because it's not symmetrical. There's no body lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that bugs me. I don't know why it bugs me, but it bugs me. Because you could just put a little kick button under there. If you can get your hatch to open with just your foot, you can get all your doors to open with just your foot. And why not? I mean, like even my wife's Jeep, I I don't take the key, the fob out of my pocket. Yeah. Because you don't have to. I don't have to unlock it with the key fob anymore. There's the option, but I walk up. key's close enough, it opens. Well, it's three fingers under the door handle. You don't even touch the door handle. Three fingers on the door handle. Dink. Opens the door. It, it opens the door. And then touch it once on the outside and it locks it. Yeah. Crazy. I'm just waiting for the Jetsons flying car to show up. Oh, it's coming. And the crazy thing is the, the flying vehicle thing is going to be more drone-based. Yes. And why didn't we think about this drone stuff a lot longer ago? Man, I don't know. I mean, maybe it had to be, do with, you remember, like, was it the late 90s, early 2000s when the, the Marine Corps had the Osprey for the first time? Yeah. And there was so much controversy about how unsafe it was, and it turns out it was just one, like, mechanical Grumman error. Well, helicopters aren't supposed to get off the ground anyway. I oh, don't that, understand that at all. They shouldn't, know. I don't understand helicopters in the least. Like, maybe I'm just not savvy on all that stuff, but, like, like the drone thing, like, uh, when I was at South By, I saw the the air taxi that bell was developing and it was an air taxi and it would land on top of buildings in downtown and you could take it like if, if, and then they were talking about Fort Worth and Dallas being like the first one and it's supposed to be like 2023, but it would be at the top of a building. You take the elevator up, you take your air taxi to Dallas and it drops you on top of a building. You take the elevator down. So you're saying I'm not going to have a DeLorean with going doors. No, I don't think they're going to be like that. With a food processor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be like that. Damn it. I really, Damn it. I really think they're going to be, uh, the first ones we're going to see are going to be single passenger. Will have to be because they won't have the weight rating yet. Yeah. They're going to be single passenger and they'll probably be autonomous. Surely. And there'll they'll be a network to where it just avoids crashes. There's no crashes. It puts you on a path that no one's on. And then once your path is in. It learns. It learns, and then it updates other ones, and they're going to be on a network. They're well, going to have to be. That's what I've I've heard about the Tesla self-driving mode, is every time a, a Tesla drives that path, it learns that path. And it knows that at 3.7 miles outside of Alvarado, there is a pothole in the left lane. It knows all that. It'll learn that because it maps the entire trip. So it learns from the first Tesla that makes that drive and hits that pothole I better avoid that. So when the next one goes, blinker goes on, goes over. I did read this like weird thing that that uh, 
like to do Tesla's like hit cops because like almost all the Tesla wrecks are with cop oh, with cars. cops with cop cars. I was like, I don't think that's a thing, but maybe, I don't think it's a thing. You no, know, some software developer over there is just like, oh man, oh man, all cops are bad. Fuck the police. <laughs> yeah, he's like saying that shit, and I'm like, oh man, don't piss off that nerd over there, man. He go, he's gonna get you. But I, yeah, the self driving mode. I mean, I haven't been in one of those new Cadillac Escalades that it's like kind of close to self driving. That's got the lane stay technology and the and the crash avoidance, right? Yeah, it's almost autopilot. Automo- we call almost. it like super cruise or something. Something weird like that. Yeah, but the auto. My deal is like it's got to be the flying car thing because planes have autopilot. Those pilots pretty much take off and land. That's what you're there for. Yeah, they're taking off and landing, and the cars can already parallel park for us. Right now. Are we going to get to the point where it's okay for us to sleep? Man. Or at least, I mean, because that would be ideal. It's just to be able to, well, the Hyperloop is ideal. The Hyperloop is ideal. Yeah. You get me to Austin in like 24 minutes. I'm like, okay, from Dallas-Fort Worth. It'd be awesome. We're not that far from that. It's just the infrastructure. being able Infrastructure to, to like, do it. How long to build it. Uh, they're saying like nine miles of it will be built by 2023 and it's just going to be so they can do testing. And I, and I get that. So I, you said about YouTube earlier with your queue, you go to my queue and there's a lot of train things, train videos. Okay. I watch a lot of videos like about Amtrak and the new Amtrak sleeper cars. Did you know that a sleeper car, the new sleeper car for the Amtrak passenger train is rated at 135 miles an hour. That rocks. 135 miles an hour. I'm either eating a bagel, watching Pennsylvania fly by, or I'm pulling into Florida in a sleeper car. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, 135 miles an hour. So that would, on that sleeper car, mind you, the thing with trains that is the worst about taking a train is the stops. It's just like like taking a bus. Like if you had... It's just like taking a layover versus a direct flight. Like with trains, if there's more direct access to major cities, that'd be awesome. So with Amtrak, every track that Amtrak owns, that they actually own outright, that's not a CSX Mm -hmm. track, is 100% electrified now, and they can run off their GE-powered locomotives, which never have to stop. No, I mean... They don't have to stop. There's no layover. There's no stop for fuel, unless they stop for water. Yeah, or just to pick up new passengers. Or to pick up new passengers. Another station. And, like, for me, it's like, God, it is easier to load a train. It's faster than the plane. So much faster. So, like, the stops could be 10 minutes, and if you miss it, there's another one coming in. In 30 minutes. He's right behind him. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the Hyperloop thing is going to be awesome. I think we'll live to see it. I hope so. I, I can remember my grandmother telling me about the loop here in Johnson County. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. Like the first proposal for the loop that was supposed to connect Waco and Fort Worth with through Cleburne, and they, this was the deal. And Stephenville. Like it should Stephenville. Go. It was going to be just this massive loop. Well, here we are, 2020s, and you and I have got to see what we knew as farm and ranch land. As housing developments. and Housing developments because of this toll road. We finally had this giant toll road that's the start of what's going to be the big loop. Okay. Yeah, I think that... If you could get that toll road to go 
to where, like, if you could go down the Stephenville that far, uh, and, like, you could get from downtown Fort Worth to Stephenville in, like, 40 minutes. Well, I can tell you right now, from my house. I mean, you can, <laughs> just not within the law. Not within the law. I can tell you, living here at this house, prior to that toll road going in, 35 minutes to Fort Worth. Now, what, 25? 21. 21 minutes. I can be at the university exit in 21 minutes. That's awesome. 917, get on the toll road. I'm at the university exit in 21 minutes. Yeah, I remember because I would take, so when my parents lived in Joshua, I would have to come out and go to 1187 and go through Crowley and go to 35. And go to 35. And then go to the stockyards. Now I can go to the university exit and I can be in the stockyards. Stockyards you're looking at from that area, you're 25, 30-ish. Minutes, but it would always take me almost 50 Took you almost an hour to get to the stockyards. Yeah. And I used to drive that all the time. Like it was nothing. And you took the Yucca Northside exit. Yeah. Because everybody took the Yucca Northside exit. Yep. I never went to 28th. Nobody went to 28th. Why don't I want to go past something? Why? Go back. Go back. But it would be almost damn near an hour. So if I went to Thirsties or Filthies or even the Horsemen back in the day, I wouldn't get home until 3.30. Yep. Every time, just because of the drive. Because of the drive. And the Waterbury line. Old South. Yeah. <laughs> I do Old South, too. It was Whataburger back then, and then it was IHOP, and then it was... Yeah. Or it was IHOP next to Overtime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, those I, are the good old days. The, there's a lot of stories that we could get into we definitely can't. Yeah. <laughs> so, Joey, you and I have been sitting here bullshitting and having a good time, and I just want to say thank you. Yeah, and thanks, man. We haven't got to sit down in a long time. This is the first time we've ever actually got to just do this kind of shit show, make it yeah, our own bullshitting. Just bullshitting. We're way past an hour and a half. So All right. So kind of the trademark of what I've done with off mic and off the record, this entire show is off mic conversations. This kind of stuff that people always ask about. What goes on when you guys go to commercial break or when you're backstage? It's this. Yeah. It's nothing other than this. Yeah. There's not some great grand motley crew it's not, party going it's on. It's not as be- beautiful back there as you think. It's it's not. We're talking about the air conditioned uh, porta potties that we have. Yeah, <clears throat> or how bad food service sucked that week. Yeah, except for that one time that Waffle House did food service. Were you there for that? Or it's when that one person gets back there, and you're like, how are they back here? How did they get back here? <laughs> did you give them a wristband? <laughs> it's usually me that they're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but I was also doing interviews, so it didn't count. Um, so the second half of this, I have always, for the life of me, been fascinated by not only new music. But music that really meant something to the artist, the songwriter. And it's usually those songs that never made it onto an album or that song that was sat in their back pocket for 10 years. It was in the bottom drawer, back of the notebook. Yeah. The one that's always carried around. And that was kind of my off-record part of this. Yeah. So I always ask the, the, the guest to, your choice, you play me that off-record tune. Okay. So when we went in to make the last project this song didn't make the record and a lot of people a lot of people love this song and the reason it didn't make the record because it didn't wasn't cohesive with everything else that was on the record it would have been in like that sore thumb that like and we've had some of those on like the war like everything goes south didn't really fit the record and then on low five there was the, the hey 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 or whatever that's yeah, yeah. um a forgettable song makes the record and then, and then songs like this miss the record. Yeah. Stuff like that happens people. Um, 
but yeah, this song, it didn't make the record because it was just so ballady and it was kind of like, it, it, it's like I should have wrote this song before I went and made the war record and this would have worked. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's called The House Ain't Big Enough. I wrote this with Kelsey Kulik. old it's cereal for supper and daddy sleeping on the couch again I wonder what this one this time was over I guess that's just the way they've always been I clean up the bottles for I head on off to bed Shut off our old console TV set Yeah, sometimes I feel like I disappear Cause I don't think they know what I hear when they curse each other's names and take the Lord's name in vain It carries through the walls and it echoes down the hall I wish that I could think they were in love But this house ain't big enough wonder if he'll make service in the morning Cause I saw mama press his Sunday shirt He usually hits home with a sermon On family and love for what that's worth this congregation swears he's a saint But thoughts like that don't carry too much weight Yeah, sometimes I feel like I disappear Cause I don't think they know just what I hear when they curse each other's names and take the Lord's name in vain It carries through the walls and it echoes down the hall Well, I wish that I could think they were in love But this house ain't big enough, enough's enough Go on and give up, it ain't love it ain't love, enough's enough Go on, give up Cause this ain't love, it ain't love Yeah, sometimes I wish I could just disappear Cause I don't think they notice that I'm when they curse each other's names and take the Lord's name in vain It 
carries through the walls and it echoes down my hall. I wish that I could think they were in love. How I wish that I could think they were in love. But this house ain't big enough. This house ain't big enough. Damn, man, there's a lot of conviction in that one. Yeah, thanks, man. So, uh, thank you, man. <laughs> I'm just saying you're doing an injustice to your listeners if you don't cut that. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's a good song. That's a really good song. Um, so, as we're closing out, um, website? Listen to joeygreen.com. Listen to joeygreen.com, and I can find you on Apple, Spotify, MySpace? No. <laughs> no MySpace. Uh, all my handles are usually uh, Joey Green Music, so at Joey Green Music on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all the things. Listen and stream free music from the Joey Green Band on MySpace.com. Oh, it's still probably hanging around. I don't know the login. I don't either. <laughs> um, so thank you, man. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and close it out now. Thank you so much for coming by and doing this with me, man. It's a... Uh, Heck yeah. I had fun. Yeah, it was easy. Simple, right? I- I'm long-winded, bro. Hey, man, it's all good. Off <laughs> mic and off the record. All right, we're going to close it out. Thank you guys for listening. Off Mic, Off the Record is a Blacktop Poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Upchurch. Go check him out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support, and I'll catch you next time. Adios. It's gonna be okay.